comes to transportation funding, Congress once more kicks the can down the road. And the road is crumbling. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain. And this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. It's an issue that won't go away, but the solution never seems to arrive. We're talking about the need for a new program to pay for maintenance, repair, and construction of the nation's transportation infrastructure. Recently, the House of Representatives passed yet another funding extension to the tune of $8 billion, but that only lasts till the end of the year. It's a pattern of stopgap measures that we've seen repeatedly since expiration of the last serious funding measure in 2009. The law that replaced it, called MAP-21 for short, didn't contain a long-term mechanism for paying for infrastructure development beyond some accounting tricks in the federal budget. On top of that, we have a new six-year funding proposal now pending in the Senate, but whether it will provide the money that's needed is anyone's guess. Helping us to sort out this mess and assess the prospects for real progress is Joshua Shank, President and CEO of the Eno Center for Transportation. He returns to the program to give us an update, such as it is, on the funding situation. So here is my conversation with Joshua Shank. Joshua Shank, welcome back to the program. Hey, my pleasure. Happy to be here. I would appreciate your helping me to sort out some of the proposals that are out there right now for transportation infrastructure funding, maybe starting with the least ambitious of them all, and that is what I understand to be recent action in the House of Representatives merely to yet again extend funding for the Highway Trust Fund, this time through December. Is that what's going on in the House? Yeah, the House already passed that, so that's an eight-month extension. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, an extension at the end of the year with $8 billion. So basically that means that the, the the programs will continue as they are today through the end of this year, and that gives them an opportunity to try to come back and take a larger bite of the apple sometime in the fall. The problem with that strategy, of course, is that it's not like things are going to be so much easier in the fall. The alleged thing that they would try to do is put together some kind of larger tax reform package and have transportation funded as part of that and potentially could come up with long-term funding for a transportation bill under such a package. The problem is that everyone agrees that the prospects for a tax reform package are pretty low right now because you've you've got to have a pretty strongly Republican Congress agree with uh, this Democratic president on a package uh, of reforms, it just seems like they're pretty far apart at the moment. It's been referred to by some parties as yet another attempt at kicking the can down the road. I don't know how many extensions we've seen over the last few years. I've lost count, but uh, <laughs> depends how you count, also. Yeah, yeah. So here again, we're just we're just putting off the inevitable for just a few more months. It sounds like. Well, and and that's the unfortunately been the de facto policy uh, since the expiration of Safety Lou, really, because in 2009, because even MAP 21 was a two-year bill. Well, yeah, it was a two-year bill, but it was a two-year bill that was patched together 
by you know finding uh, money under the couch cushions. It was not a long-term bill by any stretch of the imagination, and it was not a, a provided uh, funded by any kind of sustainable funding source. And so the the way that we are funding our national transportation program in this country is at this point absurd because we are not providing any kind of certainty. We are not providing any kind of certainty in funding or in policy, and it's getting to the point where we're actually doing damage to our uh, budgets uh, in order to support transportation. The federal budget is being perverted in a strange way to pay for these transportation bills um, and future generations are going to uh, bear the brunt of that. Okay, but maybe a little bit of a bright note. Uh, last week, I understand the Senate Committee on Commerce, Science, and Transportation approved a six-year transportation bill, the Comprehensive Transportation and Consumer Protection Act of 2015, S-1732. Now, I'm a little confused about that, how that relates to the previously announced DRIVE Act. Is this a new iteration of that, or are these two competing proposals out there? Well, the way it works is that the Senate is a little odd, as it always is, but it's particularly odd when it comes to transportation because there are three different committees responsible for the legislation that eventually gets combined into one surface transportation bill because Environment and Public Works handles the highway portion, Commerce handles the rail and safety portions, and then Banking handles the public transportation portion. And so usually the way things work is each of those committees drafts their portion of the legislation, and then it all gets combined on the floor. This time it's worked a little bit differently. The DRIVE Act, which was written by EPW and passed through EPW, uh, was uh, was completed, and then the Con- Commerce completed their portion of the bill, although they did it in a way that was very partisan. And was yeah, by the way, you know, EPW, the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee. Yes, yes, sorry. Okay. I'm sorry, <laughs> I've got to be careful of the acronyms. So, uh, and then the Commerce Committee uh, passed their bill, but over Democratic objections, and transportation is typically bipartisan, so that was unusual. And the Banking Committee didn't do anything. Um, and so what happened was they came to the floor, and Mitch McConnell, Senate Majority Leader, put them together in a bill and came up with language that the, for the banking committee that wasn't actually written or passed through the banking committee. So it's a highly unusual process. And now they have a bill on the floor of the Senate for which they're trying to get closure so they can get a vote on it. That is a full-fledged bill that combines commerce, environment, public works, and then this additional title about public transit. Uh, the first closure vote on that bill failed uh, because the Democrats said, we haven't read this bill yet, so we're not ready to go forward with it. And now we'll see if the Senate can succeed in passing the six-year bill. But you said, well, this is on the bright side of things, and I don't want to be the skunk at the garden party on everything you say, but I'm not sure I see the bright side of it for a couple of reasons. One, the Senate has not identified a long-term funding source for this bill either. So it's a six-year bill, but they are talking about maybe two to three years of worth of money for the six-year bill, and that money is found in ways that are not related to transportation and are not really fiscally responsible ways of paying for the bill. And second, it's a six-year bill that does not have take us in any particularly interesting or useful policy direction. I mean, it's very much more of the same type of bill, no real changes in policy. When policy changes are drastically needed, we have to be spending the money we have more effectively than we have been in the past because it's a different world out there, and federal money is not the dominating force that it used to be. But we're not we're not changing how we spend the money. So I'm not sure that I see the six-year bill as much of a, of a bright side, unfortunately. Okay. 
Okay, but before we get any more de details about that, I just do want to clarify. The Drive Act came out of Environment and Public Works. Is that correct? correct? Yes. Okay, right. and, this, and this bill we're talking about now, this Comprehensive Transportation and Consumer Protection Act, this is a compilation, or this is just Senate, this is just Commerce, Science, and Transportation's version of it? The bill that you're talking about is Commerce, Science, and Transportation's version, and it's, mm -hmm. version is not necessarily the right word because it's, it's dealing with different aspects of transportation than the Environment and Public Works Committee bill. But they are now both. They have both been combined into a comprehensive bill. That is, I don't know what they're calling it, frankly, but it's a <laughs> it's a comprehensive bill that is being debated on the Senate floor. I, it surprises me or amazes me that we do the same thing every time. We, year after year after year, we come up with these great proposals, and yet we leave that one last little detail unaddressed, and that is how we're going to pay for it. I wonder how legislators can rationalize continuing to come up with proposals where the money, the funding aspect, has not been addressed. Yeah, it's it's pretty pathetic at this point. Um I think the way they rationalize it is that they know that American people want investments in transportation infrastructure, and they don't want to have to pay for it. And so they're trying to give the American people what they want, um, which is always a dangerous thing. It's actually not what <laughs> leaders should be doing. Leaders should be leading people towards what is they need, not giving them what they want. But that's what they're doing is giving them what they want. And so they're finding ways to look like they're not – making people pay for it, but of course they are. I mean, nothing's free. And they are giving them the transportation bills that they want. I mean, if it's very difficult for a member of Congress to go home to their constituents and say, re-elect me, I just cut transportation money so that we could balance the budget. They're not going to like that. And if they go home and say, I increased your transportation money, uh, which they've been doing at a small rate, but they've been doing it, uh, at least with inflation, they're, they're going to get a better reception. But if they do that by raising taxes explicitly, then they're going to get a terrible reception. So they're trying to do the, thread that needle and do what people want by giving them more goodies and not making them pay for it. I seem to recall a few weeks, if not months back, and I can't remember who the name of the legislators were, who actually stepped forward with a specific proposal to increase the, 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 the nationwide fuel tax. Um, I guess that was a non-starter. I haven't heard anything about it since that time. There are a few courageous uh, leaders in the House of Representatives who have proposed uh, different ways of uh, increasing the fuel tax, including Congressman Earl Blumenauer, who's been saying it for years and has been very straightforward about it. Uh, but even some Republicans, I mean, Com Congressman Renacci from, uh, from Ohio has been proposing an increase in the gas tax. So, there are people out there saying, yeah, this, this is the way to go. This is the responsible way to fund this program. But uh, that, those aren't the people who matter because Paul Ryan, for example, in the House, who is chair of the Budget Committee, has made it quite clear that he opposes a gas tax increase and it's not going to happen. And John Boehner has made it clear it's not going to happen. And Mitch McConnell's made it clear it's not going to happen. And Arne uh, Hatch, who chairs the Finance Committee and the Senate, has made it clear it's not going to happen. So, And even the president, by the way, has not come out to support a gas tax increase. So Yeah, but those those who say it's not going to happen, do they then say do they then offer an alternative? No, is that's isn't that incredible? I mean, the, to, in his defense, the president has offered an alternative. Um, he has offered the idea of repatriating uh overseas funds 
uh, as a method of paying for uh, for legislation. But that's also a one-time fix because then maybe you get five years of money out of that, but it's not a sustainable uh, revenue source either. So, but at least he's proposed something. A lot of folks uh, are are out there saying. No, no gas tax increase, and no, I don't have a way to pay for it. Yeah, it's incredibly irresponsible governance. What about a mileage-based fee, as is now being tested in the state of Oregon? Is that just considered just yet another tax and and another non-starter, or is there some support behind that? Well, I think it is considered a tax and is seen as equally difficult, if not more difficult, than a gas tax increase for a couple of reasons. One, because we don't have it yet, so we'd have to set up the infrastructure to be able to collect it. And uh, and also it might cost money to collect it, and perhaps more than it costs to collect the gas tax currently. And secondly, because of perceived concerns about privacy. Now, whether that's true or not is uh, uh, you know subject to debate. But there are many people who have made an issue of the privacy with respect to uh, vehicle miles travel type fee, and particularly at the federal level, that's difficult. At the state level, I think more people are willing to accept the government charging them per mile. But on the federal level, I think it's going to be very hard to do. Well, those who use the uh, highways pay for it. It seems to make sense to a certain extent. I mean, it does to, to a certain extent, but I, I'm I'm not so sure that I think that people who use the highways should be the one to pay for it. I know that's somewhat a controversial statement in in transportation, but we are pretty much alone among developed nations with the concept that users should pay for the system. Uh, you know, everybody benefits from the highway system, whether you're driving on it or not. You know, every good that you purchase has pretty much been on that highway system. Uh, and if it's, it costs more to deliver that good, it's costing you more to pay for it. So everybody benefits from a, a good highway system. And the people, in many ways, a lot of people benefit from a good transit system because if you don't have that transit system, then you're going to have a lot more people driving, and that's going to clog up the highway system. So I happen to think that paying for transportation with general revenues is not an unreasonable idea. The problem is that Congress has not decided to do that. Congress is instead in desperation reaching for general fund money to plug gaps every couple of years, which provides no certainty and provides a, a very difficult environment for making good decisions about transportation investment. Well, just today I got a release from the Reason Foundation, which I guess is the uh, libertarian organization that proposed as their solution uh, tolling. And not just tolling on top of the uh, fuel tax, but tolling in place of it. I don't know how the economics of that would work, but that certainly is the most extreme example of saying who's using the highway should pay for it. But that, of course, would fall into that category that you say is not viable, in your opinion. Well, it's not that it's not viable. Um, I, you know, I think I think it's extremely difficult. But the problem I have with that type of proposal is that it assumes that transportation is only there to serve the people who are using the transportation system. And that's just not true. Transportation provides a broader purpose for the economy. And it's not just the people who are using it who need to pay for it. It's different. There are all kinds of people benefiting from transportation who are not using it. And the other problem I have with the with the reason proposal is that it's not any more politically realistic than, than a gas tax increase or than any other kind of me- method of paying for this. You know, if you look at polls that have been done about how people want to pay for transportation, something very clear comes through. They hate tolls. They hate VMT fees. They hate gas tax. They hate everything. <laughs> but in all cases, they are more willing to pay when you demonstrate it to them exactly what they're getting for that money and what purpose you hope to achieve 
with that money. And that's the problem we're really having, is we have not provided a compelling case for how we're going to take that money and use it to make people's lives better and exactly what the outcomes are going to be. And until we do that, it's going to be very difficult to get people to pay more. Well, one thing we might do is redefine the uh, the term using. Um, if I order something, if I order a package and it comes to my house by truck, I have used a highway, even That's though right. I did not personally drive on that highway. That's exactly um, right. So yeah. even you, a moment ago, were you were, were using the word using to mean literally me or you driving on that highway, not accounting for the fact that that highway serves us even when we're not on it. So, That's right. That's absolutely right, and and that's why there's a certain logic to using either sales taxes or income taxes or other fees that are not direct user fees on transportation as a method of paying for transportation. Yeah, well, here again, this idea of a trust fund, we are, if not alone in the world in that respect, we are definitely in the minority among countries who fund our transportation right. through a trust fund. Most, Many other countries do it through their general treasury. That's so right. are you saying that could be a viable option, that maybe we ought to just abandon the trust fund and take it out of general monies? I think it's certainly worth considering. And when you mention that to the average person in transportation or even on the Hill, they think you're crazy because they think, why would you get rid of something that guarantees that you're going to get a certain amount of money? Now, maybe it's not enough and we have to plug it all the time, but at least you're guaranteed to get this amount. And that's the kind of attitude that results in us continuing to have this ridiculous program for the, forever because we think, oh, we don't want to let this go because this is so great. And meanwhile, it's killing us. So, uh, yeah, it is a viable option to have general funds uh, support a transportation program since virtually every other developed country on earth does it. So it can be done, and it can be done in federal republics, by the way. Australia does it. Canada does it. Uh, so it's not that we we couldn't figure out how to do it if we if we had the leadership necessary. It's that no one's proposing it. The stakeholders are against it because they're worried about losing the goose that laid the golden egg. And and uh, elected officials, you know, are not going to take that kind of risk by proposing that. But absolutely, I think the trust fund's utility has run out, and it is time to move on and, and join the rest of the world and come up with a different way of paying for transportation. But then if you do it out of the general fund, you're jump, jumping into the arena with every other interest out there that needs federal money. And, of course, right. the old adage, freight doesn't vote, that was the whole reason for the trust fund being created in the first place. Are you not then reverting back to that dilemma when all the money is in one big pot? Yeah, so I, I think that transportation will do very well when it's competing with other needs. And the reason I think it'll do well is that it's something that everyone agrees needs to get done. It's something that has a pretty clear national purpose, right, because you have to have transportation across state lines. It's in the Constitution that we have to have you know, interstate commerce facilitated by the federal government. So there's a logic to it, and I think it could do well. But the only way it's going to do well is if we have real accountability for how that money is being spent and how it's making a difference in the performance of the system. And that is the part that concerns me. We're not doing that now. And because we're not doing that now, people don't see why they should vote for more money for transportation. If transportation were forced to compete with other domestic spending priorities, I think that they would very quickly start to demonstrate value and start to demonstrate value transparently and in a way that provides accountability. And that would be a huge service to the country and probably result in more investment in transportation. 
So far, all we've talked about is money, but there's so much more to the issue, as you yourself repeatedly have pointed out, the need for new ways of measuring system performance, the new ways for de- ways of, de- of selecting which projects should go forward and which should not. So what are some of the things out there that you really think are important that we need to be looking at that do not relate directly to the actual money, but to the way projects are chosen and how performance of various systems is really honestly assessed? I think most people would be surprised to find out how project selection is done at the state level. You know, project selection, by and large, is done uh, through a combination of engineers and elected officials. So engineers will say, here are the priorities from an engineering standpoint. If we want to move more people on our roads, we've got to make these investments in order to move more people on our roads. And the elected officials are going to make choices based on where their political priorities are and say, I want this project now because it's in my district. Well, who is looking out for the long-term economic safety and environmental benefits of transportation? Not Nobody. Neither the engineers nor the elected officials are going to be looking out for that because the engineer will gladly tell you, well, this bridge needs to be replaced now, uh, but that doesn't mean that they're prioritizing and saying, well, this bridge first and this bridge second because the first bridge has way more people on it and has much greater economic importance to the state. So there's no one prioritizing investments based on a larger purpose, such as an economic purpose or an environmental purpose or a safety purpose. And that's where the, the real lack of, uh, of informed decision-making is. And, and as a result, we are not targeting the money that we have towards the most critical investments. At some point uh, down the line, a few years ago, the administration did propose some sort of mechanism for assessing which types of projects were of the greatest national interest as opposed to those that fed the uh, the ego and, and the power of individual legislators within various areas, right? I don't, I don't know what happened to that idea. Oh, well, I'm not sure which uh, exactly which component you're referring to. Well, uh, I, I'm not either. I'm just remembering that I thought some original proposals had a, a, had a mechanism for the determining which projects were actually in the national interest and therefore should qualify for, for whatever funds were available. Well, the closest we've come to that are discretionary grant programs such as the TIGER program, right? Mm-hmm. The TIGER program is, is funded by general funds, by the way. Uh, it was part of the Recovery Act. And it, it puts a pot of money out there that could be high, allocated to the projects that demonstrate the greatest benefit for the costs among certain criteria. And, yeah, that's a much more effective way of allocating resources at the federal level and than, than the way we do it now, which is by just distributing by formula and saying go to it uh, with very little restriction or accountability. So th- there are examples uh, in our program of things that we do that way. But the 90% of money that's going out by formula, it's really up to the states. And there's not much out there that's pushing the states to spend that money on the highest priority national investments. Well, as I understood it, the DRIVE Act did include some new discretionary grant programs uh, that it boosted that type of system. Would that have been, or is that a good way to go? Well, it does provide a new discretionary grant program for freight, um, and that uh, you know has now been combined with the Commerce Title and it's a multimodal grant program for freight, and that's that's good. That is a good step in the right direction. But it's a very small program, and still, you know, pales in comparison to the way the vast majority of the money is being spent. 
I know we always hesitate to say more study is needed because that generally leads to so-called blue ribbon panels and things like that that generate huge reports that sit on a shelf somewhere and just further delay any action. However, I do believe you have suggested that there are some new research programs that would be of value that would help people to understand the value of transportation, where the where the money is mo- is best needed. I mean, do you believe that that there is a need for future research in this area? I mean, look, I'm a, I'm a transportation researcher, so of course I'm going to say yes to that. Um, I, you know, there there is a lot of research that needs to be done, but I would raise questions about uh, how we allocate research money at the federal level because research on the same things over and over again is not very productive, and we've been researching how to pay for this transportation system. Uh, for 10 years. And there's no amount of research that's going to change the politics that is preventing us from funding it accurately. So that's an issue that I don't think can be tackled with research. Where there is a role for research is in understanding best practices, both around the world and in the United States. Uh, How are different places prioritizing investments effectively? How do other countries ensure accountability for transportation investments? And what can we adopt uh, from other countries, from states and localities, to improve how we do things at the national level here in the United States. Well, I guess my final question is maybe the most disconcerting, and that is, indeed, the presidential election season is upon us. Can anything happen between now and November of 2016 because we are now in the thick of things? Well, yes. Um, I, I, I don't think that the presidential election forecloses that possibility. Remember, MAP 21 was passed in 2012, uh, so, you know, in the summer of 2012, right, at the height of things. Legislators often look to prove they can do something during a presidential election, and transportation is traditionally bipartisan. So I think it is plausible that something could get done. The problem we have is not so much that it's the presidential election season, but that the two parties are just really far apart on, on tax policy. And as long as they're this far apart on tax policy, that makes it very difficult to reach a compromise, and the presidential election does not help matters, because the last thing the Republicans want to do going into the election is to agree to raise taxes, and the last thing the Democrats want to do going into the election is to uh, is to agree to cut taxes and, uh, and you know, add to the deficit. So they're both under pressure to hold firm on their positions going in. And so the closer we get, the harder it is for them to, to agree on something like that. So from a tax perspective, it is very challenging. But that doesn't mean that Congress couldn't, up, couldn't come up with a bunch of pay-fors that they agree to that gets them through the next two years and patches this thing uh, once again, kicks the can down the road once again. They're very good at doing that, and I suspect eventually they'll come up with some kind of package that postpones a real decision and a real fix until the next president takes office. Well, Joshua Shank, I want to thank you so much for coming back on the program to talk to us about this critical issue. I'm not sure that things are much different than the last time we spoke, other than we more bridges are crumbling and roads are falling apart since that time. But thanks very much for, uh, for helping us to understand what's going on here. My pleasure. Anytime, Bob. That was my conversation with Joshua Shank of the Eno Center for Transportation, bringing us up to date on the issue of transportation infrastructure funding. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. 
Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.